Welcome to the Grabs podcast episode number seven, where we share firsthand stories of real world, real world rescues of firefighters across the nation. Our, our guest today is Clay McGee, who works for the city of Birmingham, Alabama. So Clay, um, tell us a little bit about your department and your experience. Yeah, man. Uh, so Birmingham is uh, uh, about 212,000 people that we cover uh, population-wise. It's well over half a million during the day. Uh, 32 stations. Uh, we're uh, pretty much a quint concept department. We got about five quints when they're all in service and two truck companies. Uh, I've been with Birmingham for going on seven years. I've been in the fire service since 2004, starting out as a volunteer in Mississippi, where I'm originally from. And uh, that's about it. All right. So, uh, what does Birmingham's first alarm assignment look like for residential structures? Uh, so for residential, uh, you'll get three engines, a truck or a quint, rescue unit, which for us is an ALS ambulance, uh, all of our paramedics or firefighters, uh, battalion chief, and you'll get an EMS officer and a safety officer. If it comes in as person trapped, they add an additional rescue and an additional engine. What's your uh, engine, what's the staff like, and what's your truck staff like? Four or three person, two person? We, minimum staffing for us across the board is three on uh, all our suppression apparatus. We try to keep uh, all of our truck companies at four, but that doesn't always happen. All right, so you guys are a uh, uh, pretty urban department yet. You guys are still running with three most of the time. Yeah. All right. All right. Good. What uh, What's the search culture within your department? Like, who searches and when does it get assigned? What's the priority of it? So uh, I tell this to everybody that I ever talked to about Birmingham. We basically have twelve different fire departments. We got three shifts, four battalions, and every battalion on every shift kind of does everything a little bit different. Uh, boils down to their their officers and especially pretty much the battalion chief. Well, my shift in my battalion, our chief is real big on uh, truck being a truck, whether it's Quint or not. The only time that our Quint does engine work is at their first due. And as soon as an engine company gets on scene, they try to, you know, swap uh, roles. So for us, it's usually the Quint searching on our shift in our battalion. Um, as far as tactics we use, it just it varies. It's usually uh, a split search. There have been some BESs done. Uh, it's usually more for a targeted, you know, search though when we're doing those and when you say targeted search you mean like someone's actually saying someone's in that room exactly okay what uh, are you guys a single resource house or do you guys are you guys housed with the engine company no single resource so out of our house runs the quint quint 20 rescue 20 and battalion one uh we only have two dual houses in the whole city station one and station two which are where engine one engine two truck one and truck two run out of okay all right, Clay, let's uh, take us back to the, the fire with your, your guys' rescue. Yeah, man, so it was early morning, about uh, 4.40 on uh, the 25th of July. We got dispatched for a house fire. It was a standard residential assignment. Didn't come in as person trapped. Um, it was pretty far off from our station. Birmingham's pretty spread out. I think it's like 160, 170 square miles, and it just so happened that this was – one of the furthest responses that, that our, our Quint can make. Uh, total time from like, you know, dispatch center out for us was like eight something, I think, just because of the distance we had to cover. I mean, we were out of the house within a little over a minute. Uh, but it, I mean, it was just a long ways away. So uh, 
We're we're in route. We never hear the initial ready report. The uh, first new engine gave it over the main channel, so we kind of were going into it blind until about the time we got to the community that the fire was in. Um, they came back across and advised us there were people trapped. So automatically, you know that that just kind of like ramped it up a little bit. Um, you had a plenty of fires working in Birmingham. Been on some where people were trapped. That's never been never been where it's been my assignment, you know, for search with reported people trapped. So automatically I was just kind of like in another zone. We pull up, uh, it's like a probably thousand square foot house. After the fire was out, we were able to see everything. The way the house was laid out was there was three bedrooms and a bathroom on the left side. And then the right side of the house was the living room, dining and kitchen. We pull up. First new engine, riding three, didn't know anybody was trapped, so they did what they what we normally do was uh, stop to lay a line, so they had somebody, uh, you know, down the street. Uh, so they were doing what they could when we got there. So I stepped off the quint, and immediately the neighbor was in my face, pointing, yelling right here, this window right here, they're in here, they're in here. Uh, so we immediately split, our driver's getting dressed, it was actually our our driver was riding the seat that day as the officer because our lieutenant was off. So lieutenant, me and the other guy on the back step, get off and kind of split. They're going in the front door. Uh, I go up to the window and uh, try to attempt the VES. And that was one of the things that I've kind of been telling people when I tell this story, you know, like you train on all this stuff and you think that it's always going to work out. And sometimes, you know, life just happens. And that's kind of what happened here. So uh, it was a, Conventional foundation is kind of elevated, prop mahogany down, jump up on top of it. Uh, this neighbor had already ripped the burglar bars off the house for us. They'd already been in the window, already ripped the blinds out. I mean, there wasn't anything to do but dive in. And uh, go to push a piece of furniture out of the way that's in front of the window, and I just I, I fell down off the halogen. Climb back up there, give another good solid push with the neighbor helping keep me in place, and uh, they just, it wasn't budging. So jump down he's telling me you know the layout of the house is i'm walking around the front of the house to go inside when you uh they basically uh did an addition to the front porch and kind of made the front porch part of the house so when you go in the front door you actually have to go through some double doors and then hang a left to go to the bedroom they're in so he's telling me all that i go in meet up with the guys that already gone inside i'm yelling at them you know follow me I'm over here to the left go in there uh, I go right once we get in the room. My driver's behind me. He goes left or pretty much straight ahead from the entrance to the room. And within probably 20 seconds, we had found uh, two kids. He found an infant, uh, and then I found a toddler, like a three-year-old. And what kind of visibility are you talking about right now? Zero. Okay. So you guys felt you guys found him with a tick or with your hands? Uh, hands. Okay. He's yelling at me that he found one that he, you know, that he's peeling out. I'm yelling at him that I found one. You know, so much going on. Like, I heard him yell, but I didn't hear what he said. Uh, I didn't even know that he'd found anybody until I got outside. So I drag mine, keep them low, uh, get to the front door, scoop them up, get outside. And at that time, he's probably, you know, like 10 feet in front of me. I realized that, you know, we just pulled two kids out of here. And this is kind of just where the, the story, the stuff that you train to do, the stuff that, you know, you're teaching with Magic City. I don't teach search a whole lot, but the stuff that we that we teach, you know, you always want to finish the search yourself. You know, where you were at, 
Uh, it's a lot easier than trying to explain it to somebody else. But it's another one of those that just kind of went wrong. We went outside and there wasn't, it, it all happened so fast and it was so far out from other companies that there was nobody else there. There was nobody to hand them off to. So you guys, uh, one of the things when we go around training and stuff, that's one of the things we practice on. It's like when you take someone out during training, you own them until medical arrives. It seems like in the past we've had some, um, some failures during training because we ran into that problem. We just dump them outside. So have you, you thought through that process already of what you guys are going to do when you guys have a victim with no medical help outside? Yeah. Uh, we, we had never discussed it. I'll be honest. You know, it, it, um, that's one of the things that's never really happened. Normally, most parts of our city, everybody's there on top of each other within, you know, a few minutes. But this was just one of those areas where it was taking people forever to get there. We came outside looking for our rescue unit. They weren't there yet. So we just, you know, started in the middle of the street doing CPR. The only person really at that time to help even run and get stuff for us was the captain that was riding up in the car that day as the battalion chief. Got him running around grabbing, you know, oxygen and medical bags and stuff. and. I look off to my left, and the guy driving that day uh, for us was finishing getting dressed. He was masking up, getting ready to go inside. So I yelled at him from across the yard, telling him, like, where we'd finished uh, searching. So he goes inside by himself. We got one guy in the line by himself inside, keeping the fire in check. Uh, rescue unit pulls up. We go over and uh, drop him off. I'm a paramedic. I was the only paramedic on the Quint that day. So I stayed behind with the, uh, the rescue unit, my driver that was riding up in the seat as the officer that day. He went back, um, made it inside about the same time that our driver that day found the mom of the two kids. So he found them in the same room that we had been in. Uh, all three victims were on the floor, just in different places. If, if the baby hadn't been there, we would have found the mom crawling just a few feet past uh, where, where the baby was found. But when we found the baby, kind of uh, driver kind of searched around and, and we headed out. Um, what, kind of, what kind of time frame are you looking at, Clay, for uh, on-scene time to location of like the first victim and the removal? Uh, how long did it take to remove the first or second victim? From on-scene to removal of the first two victims was like two minutes. All right, so pretty quick. So is that pretty normal for you guys' training? Uh, is it, or is it quicker? It seems like we could run across that, uh, real world incidents are actually quicker than when we train. I think they are, you know, it, it, everything just goes so fast. You're like, in a, um, I feel like you're moving faster than you would normally, even in training, even when you're trying to have a sense of urgency. The thing that I noticed that sticks out in my head was when I made the room, every, it's like everything I was touching felt soft. Yeah. Um, so I was. I may have been moving super fast, but in my mind, everything slowed down, and I was taking my time. Like, everything I touched, I was double-checking. Come to find out, it was all the uh, crib mattresses. Instead of just having them in cribs, she had just crib mattresses down on the ground uh, for the kids to sleep on. So so when you started the fire service, uh, what did the rooms look like that you were, that you were training in to search? When I started? Yes. Uh, man, when I started in the fire service, uh, volunteering, we trained in the station. So, okay. So you had uh, to leave some furniture back then. 
Yeah, man, it, and that was back in the day, the typical grab the, the pants leg and the guy in front of you and do the search train and all that stuff. It wasn't until uh moved to the career side and even started branching out some where I really, you know, learned to keep away from people, just stay in voice contact. Uh, you know, you don't have to be tied down to the person that you're with. Yeah, awesome. All right. Uh, do you, you have something else to uh, tell our listeners and something that uh, you learned from that day or anything else, Clay? It's one of the big things I, I try to tell everybody, like, even no matter how good you think you do, there's always something uh, to learn from what happened. And uh, for us, the big thing was with me, I was talking to the neighbor, you know, he was giving me the layout of the house. And this is uh, as I'm running inside the house, he's telling me all this stuff. But it never even crossed my mind to, you know, how many people are we looking for? How old are they? When we went in, when I went inside, I had no clue what I was looking for. I just knew I was looking for people. So that was my big takeaway from the whole thing was, you know, try to get a little bit of information as you're going inside. If you have somebody that knows the people in the house and knows how many people should be there and how old they are, you know, that's all good information that'll help you think about where you need to search, you know, all that type of stuff. Good. Awesome. Well, thanks, Clay, for coming on to the show, episode number seven and sharing your story. Uh, if you are on scene of a structured fire with a rescue or an assist, dead or alive, um, please help us capture our wins and specific details that improve our rescue and search across the nation. Visit www.firefighterrescuesurvey.com and fill out one survey per victim. If you would like to share your story on Grab's podcast, contact Gra- Grant Schwalbe. Uh, you can contact him on the Facebook or residential primary search making the Grab or contact myself, Justin McWilliams on Facebook or search culture. Thank you.